Uh, today is also a little different because I'm going to go first. And uh, we're going to take a little break, if that's all right, from our message on manhood, womanhood, and marriage and, and all that. Uh, I just need to share a little bit with you uh, as a congregation from the heart, if that's all right. Is that okay this morning? Yeah? Amen? All right. Um, and let me just confess to you, uh, although I have some notes, I really, I really don't know how they all kind of come together. Because I, uh, I mostly just want to talk to you from my heart. And uh, hopefully this won't take long. I, I do realize we have the kids in here. And the primary reason I asked uh, that we didn't have Kids Corner this morning and that everybody come in along with the kids is not so much that we could have family worship this morning, but so that I could speak to all of you. I didn't want anybody who wanted to be here to have to be back with the kids or uh, to be working in such a way that they, they didn't hear this straight from me. So uh, here we go. And like I said, there's a lot of pieces to what I'm about to say to you that um, really have been uh, coming together for over a year now. And for me to try and give you the full understanding of it, frankly, I don't quite understand all of it myself yet. And so uh, I just want to give you a little bit of a, of a taste of it. And uh, hopefully some of the pieces fall together enough that God uses it some way in your, in your heart. At the first of this year, I stood here in the first message of the year, and I said something at the beginning of the message to the effect that uh, I had had a very emotionally draining week. And then at some point I would share that week with you, and, uh, but it wasn't for then, and uh, it isn't completely for now, but it's where I'm going to start. Uh, some of you know that um, <clears throat> I, am, uh, I am the product of a divorced home. My mom left my biological father when I was one year old. And um, um, we moved to Florida. I was born in Pennsylvania. We moved to Florida, and uh, I didn't see nor hear from my biological father for the rest of my life. At the beginning of this year, I felt prompted, uh, because of some things that were going on in my life personally, to make that trip. I knew where he lived. I'd never heard from him, never talked with him, never got a Christmas card, a birthday card, never a phone call. Uh, never just checking on you, never any of that. Uh, I didn't know what he looked like. I imagine he looked something like myself or my brother, and uh, it was always a curiosity to me. So at the beginning of the year, uh, a number of things came together, and I said, I'm going to make the drive to Pennsylvania. In the middle of a blizzard, mind you, uh, I took off and I drove 13, 14 hours to uh, the center of Pennsylvania. Uh, I didn't tell him I was coming. He didn't know I was coming. Uh, I didn't know how I was going to find him. I had an old address that I couldn't find when I got there. Uh, it turns out that I ran into a neighbor who still lives across the street from the house I was born in. And uh, I knocked on their door, told them who I was. It took them a while to figure it out. And I sat down for a couple hours. Long story short, they knew where my father lived. I went to his house. I knocked on the door. He wasn't there. My, as I found out halfway into the conversation, my cousin came out from back in, a, uh, in, the, in the woods somewhere, and uh, he comes walking up to me and he says, hey, can I help you? And I went through this whole conversation. Long story short, my biological father was at work, and he called him and handed me the cell phone. And uh, that's not how I saw it going down. But at any rate, I spoke to him and ended up uh, meeting my father for the first time at a Dunkin' Donuts in Scranton, Pennsylvania, with a handshake and a... Uh, an introduction that um, was a little bit awkward, to say the least. 
See, at that point, I didn't tell him who I was when I talked to him on the phone. And so when we sat down, the first thing uh, that I had to say was, hey, I'm, I'm one of your sons. And that was odd for me. I didn't have to do that because the first thing he said to me uh, when he sat down before I could say anything was, how's your mother doing? And so I knew from that point that he knew who I was. I say that, I tell you that little bit of that story. There's much more to it. I say that to just give you an idea of um, some things that have been going on in my heart, some things that God has been doing in my life to teach me really who I am. And frankly, uh, I still don't completely know who I am. Um, I have thought about it for a long time, who, who, who I am, who this person is, what's made me who I am, uh, what's me and what's not me. And uh, I've come up with a couple answers, none of them complete. One of the answers is I'm a product of, of a lot of people that I've admired in my past, some friends. Uh, I've taken both good and bad uh, from people who've been around me. Uh, I remember as a kid watching those people around me and saying, uh, I like that about the person, or I can tell that other people like it about the person, and I would, I would build that into who I was so that I could be maybe appreciated as they were. And uh, I, as I look back, that's happened in a lot of ways over a long time. And uh, that's not all bad. That's not all good either. And um, as I've discovered that, that's not the only source. I'm also a product of uh, the culture that I've lived in, namely the culture of um, athletics, specifically uh, college football. Um, a lot of the things that I see in my life of who I am, I can directly pinpoint back to uh, the environment I was in as an athlete from the time I was seven years old all the way through college. And I see that in me. And again, some of it's good. There's a lot of it that's not so good. Um, I've realized in all this discovering time of myself uh, that there are some some glaring weaknesses because of that story, that little bit of story that I've just told you. Uh, there are some, some huge weaknesses. Put that on hold for just a second, and, and let me talk to you about another thing that's been on my heart. For some time now, I've, I've had this, this overwhelming sense, and frankly, I haven't really been able to discover what it is, but I've had this overwhelming sense in regard to our church that there is this darkness over our congregation. And uh, I've been praying for some time, Lord, what, what is this veil? What is this curtain? What is this curtain of darkness that I sense over our congregation that, uh, most importantly, seems to be holding us back from victory in our ministry, victory in where we're going as a church, victory in what God wants to do uh, in the lives of individuals here? Uh, what is it that I sense is is this curtain of darkness that's holding us back. And um, been praying about that for a while, and Preston and I have talked about it for a while, and the elders and I have talked about it. Uh, frankly, I, I haven't been able to put my finger on it. I asked the Lord, is there sin in the camp that we need repent of? Are there things that we're missing? Are there things that we're not doing? Is there somewhere that we drop the ball? Uh, are we not headed in the right direction? And I keep getting answers uh, affirmative answers that were not, those aren't the issue. 
I don't sense sin in the camp. I don't sense that we've dropped the ball. I don't sense that our church is heading in the wrong direction. In fact, exactly the opposite. And it makes it all the more frustrating. I'm sure we all have sin in our lives that we need to deal with. But I don't sense this overwhelming idea of there's sin in the camp. We, we as a church, as a congregation, need repent. I don't sense that there's, that there's, uh, that there's this thing that we've missed. I don't sense that we've headed in the wrong direction. In fact, I sit here Sunday after Sunday and I say, God, more people need what this church has to offer. Not what I have to offer, not what Preston has to offer, but what this church has to offer. Some very good things happening here. More people out there need to be in here, not so that we can have a full room, but so that they can experience what God is doing. So those weren't the answers. And it continued to frustrate me because those weren't the answers. I would have liked him to say, there's sin in the camp. It's in Preston's life. Go confront him on it. And then we'll all be fine. That's not it. That's not it. Last Thursday, um, my world sort of collided. All right. Both of these struggles in my heart and my life and my mind collided in one moment. Let me try and explain that to you. Last Thursday, I went to the associational prayer meeting. Uh, Our church is a part of an association of Baptist churches in this region. And um, I went to this prayer meeting. They have it pretty much every Thursday. I don't always get to go. I like to go when I get to go, but I don't always get to go. And let me just let me just say simply, um, I'm a little I don't fit the mold of our associational pastors. Okay, Um, most of them are much older than I am. Most of them are much more traditional than I am. Most of them. Um, have a different sense of humor than I do. Most of them have different personalities than I do. Um, but to the man, I always sense that they, they're good. They're good old boys. And I enjoy being around them. But I found myself this past Thursday. It had been a long time since I got to go to the associational prayer meeting. And I'm sitting in a room of about a dozen pastors. And uh, we come together just to pray over the needs of our churches and to share uh, the struggles of pastors and to uh, lean on each other. And uh, I was sitting in this room and, and they were doing their normal cutting up and joking with each other. And, and it, it, I just really didn't fit. And I, do, I, I did my normal thing. I kind of I sat back and I, I played it cool. And, uh, you know, I, I laughed at their silly jokes from time to time. And I, I just, I just kind of sat back. And I was really struggling in my heart. Because I knew the time would be coming where the men would go around the room and each one of us would pray. And frankly, I had been all last week um, somewhat prayed out in the sense that I, I didn't know what else to pray. I knew what my, des- my desire was for me personally. I knew what my, my heart was for our church. But I didn't know if that's what I should pray. And so I'm sitting there the whole time as these other men are praying and it's getting nearer and nearer to my time saying, God, what do you want me to say? Should I just tap the next guy and let it go on by? And... Um, as I said, my, my worlds began to collide a little bit and some things began to come together. Not completely clear. There's still more answers out there, but I got at least a little bit of clarity that I, that I want to share with you. Um, I listened to a, a pastor in Texas uh, quite often. I listen to his sermons and I can't tell you what the sermon was about, but I, I had a, um, I had a moment in that prayer meeting where God 
recalled an illustration that this pastor had used in a recent sermon I listened to. And it was a story of a, of a bus ride to a mission trip. And it went something like this. He said, um, he said I was on a bus with a group of our people uh, in a third world country on the way to a little village in the middle of nowhere where we were going to do missions work. This was our missions trip. He said there was another bus with another pastor and another congregation, a group from another church, going to the same village. They were sort of doing this mission thing as a partnership. And so him and a, and a dozen or two dozen of his people were on their way uh, down through the dirt roads and back hills of this third world country, on their way, a long bus ride to the location, and another church with another pastor and another congregation in another bus making the same trip right behind them. He said, we got to the location and the whole drive there, my bus and my church, we'd been cutting up. We had been laughing and uh, telling jokes. He said it got to a point somehow we just got to tell a knock knock jokes. And the whole way there, we told knock knock jokes and they were stupid knock knock jokes. And some of them were good. He said, we just cracked up and we had a good time. He said, when we got off the bus, the other bus pulled right up next to us. The other pastor got off. The other congregation got off. He said, we flooded off the bus and we were laughing and joking and elbowing each other. And we had a great time. He said, the other church got off the bus and it was obvious that they had wept the whole way to the village. He said, it was obvious that they had been praying the whole way for the people that they would encounter for Jesus. And he said, it's like God just hit me with a two by four right between the eyes. He said, here we are cutting up the whole way there. He said, that's fine. That's, there's nothing necessarily wrong with that. He said that this church was, was in prayer. That the gospel be clear when they got to this little village. Now, here's what God told him. He said, after four or five years that a pastor finds himself in a church, he said, unfortunately, the church often takes on the weaknesses of the pastor. There are some ways that the church infuses into their DNA positive things from the DNA of the pastor. He said, but in that moment, I realized that this church had picked up something, something potentially very negative from their pastor. He said, I'm just a big cut up. He said, I like to joke a lot. I like to pull pranks. He said, I'm just a goofball. I say inappropriate things. I do inappropriate things. He said, we just have fun. He said, in that moment, God showed me that my church had adopted into them, into their very fiber, their DNA, this potentially weak and negative characteristic. And so I'm sitting in this prayer meeting and I'm saying, God, what? you know what's on my heart. You know, you know, the week I've had, you know, what's going on. Uh, you know, the struggles I'm going through personally. You know what my heart is for the church. What, what do you have me pray? And God asked me this question. He said, uh, last Sunday, you called the men together on a Sunday night and you challenged them to step up in their areas of leadership. I said, yeah, I did. And he said, I wonder if you'd allowed me to challenge you. And I said, ugh. Because anytime you do something like that, you know, God's just going to slap you and say, OK, what about you? And so I, I said, OK, you got me. What is it? And he brought that story. He brought that bus story back to me. And here I am examining my life and where my weaknesses are. And then, you know, I had this veil for our church. 
And he said, could it be that, that, uh, that maybe the struggle is the same? And that maybe somehow to the degree that you are, you are pastor shepherd of this church, you've infused into the DNA some of your very weaknesses. So let me tell you what, <laughs> what one of my glaring weaknesses is that I, that I struggle with. Uh, and then I continue to uh, have uh, on occasion pointed out. Uh, it's been said that, uh, Daryl, you have a wall up of some sort. It's been said that uh, from time to time I am insensitive to people's needs. It's been said that uh, from time to time I don't really, it doesn't seem that I care. Um, last week I had some of that come my way and I was, I was as always, as any time that happens, uh, I was literally just sick to my stomach. I told Kimberly, uh, I said, can I just, it was in the evening time and we're doing the whole evening routine with the kids. I said, can I just go to bed and just curl up and just go to sleep? And because uh, that's all I really wanted to do. And she said, you know, as we were talking about it, I had, I had said to her, you know, if people only knew how much I really do care. I mean, do they not, they don't get it how much I I really do care. Like, why would I be doing this? Why would I have given my whole entire life? Why would I have taken our family out of all things secure and said, let's go plant a church in the middle of Jackson County, nowhere? Um, and my flesh just kind of rises up. And says, I can't. Uh, people don't people don't understand how deep I care. How compassionate I, I feel, how sensitive I am to their needs. And she just looked at me across the kitchen in the most loving way that she can. She said, well, why don't you, why don't you do something about it? She said, you know, every, every time this thing kind of comes up, you say that. You say, I wish they knew. Maybe it's time that you do something about them seeing it. And like the Holy Spirit or my wife do, there was the two by four. And um, so, so here, here it is coming together. Um, and I, frankly, I don't fully understand it. I don't know that I'll ever fully understand it. I don't know where it comes from. I don't know if it's the fact, you know, whole related to the fact that uh, I haven't known my father or any of that. Um, issues with my adopted father. I, I don't know what it is. I didn't get enough hugs. Uh, you know, I've taken good and bad things, blame it on football, blame it on, you know, the culture of athletics. I don't know what it is. And you know what? As I pray about it and I ask God specifically, if, it, if there's something you need to show me that I need to understand, do that. As I pray about it, the only answer I get is, you know, what? I don't know that it really I don't know that it really matters for me. It might matter for you in your situations. But at this point. Um just matters what I do with it. So let me let me tell you how I see my weakness. My weakness is this. As I was sitting in that prayer meeting and my worlds collided and by my worlds, I mean my own personal struggles and my struggles in my heart for this congregation. God said, could it be that your your veil, your wall, so to speak, has something to do with the wall or veil you sense over our church? And I said, God, what is my wall? What is my veil? Um, it's not that I don't care. It's not that I'm insensitive. It's not that I, uh, that I mean to be intimidating, as some of you might sense. 
Here's what it is, as I believe God's shared with me. Um, I haven't lived in the joy that is my salvation. Uh, Preston and I uh, have been reading a book. He read it and gave it to me, and I started reading it. And uh, I became quickly frustrated with this book, Preston. And I started shooting him texts. I'm like, I don't like this. I don't like this. And what I didn't like specifically in the first three chapters alone were all that he, this author began to talk about, about uh, our joy and our happiness in, in God. And I kind of think now, Preston, that what it is is I, I, just haven't, I just haven't found how it is that I am going to live happy. And some of you say, man, Daryl, this is awful heavy and, and, and weighty. Uh, just follow me a couple more minutes here. It's not that I'm an unhappy guy, but let me, let me tell you what it is uh, as, I, as I feel the Lord has revealed it to me. I'm not living in the joy that is mine. And I, I believe, I think, that that often comes across as a wall, often comes across as insensitive, uncaring. I've kind of defaulted into a personality that really isn't necessarily me because the me that really matters is the me in Christ. And so I, I have a few apologies to make. One, I have an apology to make to my family, specifically my wife and probably my mom, uh, that I've kind of lived just this cool breeze, kick back, uh, trying to be mature, whatever it is, I don't know, uh, attitude. And I've not shared the joy or the love that I have for them in the way I need to. Uh, as I sat in that prayer meeting, the same phrase just kept coming to mind. Smile. God has saved your life. Smile. And that sounds so trite. It sounds so insignificant. But that was that was my issue. Is that what was so true on the inside of me that I got frustrated with the people didn't see it, it wasn't showing. And it's just silly, ridiculous personality traits that I picked up from here or there. Who knows where? It doesn't matter. That have made me, you know, whatever facade kind of a guy that I am. And I don't I don't you don't see the joy of the Lord on my face. So I. Number one, I have to apologize to my family for that because they, they, they catch the brunt of it. Number two, I, I want to apologize to our congregation for that. To the degree that my weaknesses have been infused into the DNA of our church, to the degree that my walls, my veil, whatever it is in me, has become a part of what's caused this veil in our church, I apologize. And I, and I repent of that. And I also say that that's not going to be the case anymore. To the degree that that is on my shoulders, it's no longer. Uh, I'm stepping away from my wall. I've decided, uh, when I came home from that prayer meeting, I've decided that I'm going to smile for the things that bring me joy. Namely, my family, uh, my salvation, the life that God saved for me, uh, and the Christ that lives in me. I'm just not going to block it. I don't know why I blocked it. I don't intend to block it. It's, sorry kids, it's stupid that I blocked it. Um, yesterday, well, Friday, as I was thinking through all this, um, the saddest part of my whole, my whole struggle through this in the last couple of days came when I realized that I not only owe my family and this church an apology, 
but I owe Christ an apology. It struck me that as I've looked back just to how the way I act and how I come across, etc., that um, over the summer I've had a couple of occasions to be around people and families that I know are lost. And I thought, oh, the shame that I've been in their presence with Christ in me and the joy of the Lord, the joy of my salvation has not been evident. How sad that is that they don't see the Christ in me coming out of me. So for that, I apologize to my Savior because it's, it's stupid. It's dumb. It's ridiculous. It's, uh, it's just my pride, if anything. If even it is that. So, something you need to know about your pastor. Um, his shoe of preference is a flip-flop. So, I'm wearing flip-flops. I figured while we were doing this whole discover who I am sort of thing, I'm sneaking in the flip-flops. The curtains are open this morning for the first time ever in a, in a Sunday morning service. We may close them next week. We may leave them open for a month. We may close them and open them and close them. I don't know. I opened them this Sunday. I came in on Friday and I opened the curtains uh, because I wanted you to remember this day is the day that um, not only am I saying that my curtain's going away, but that my prayer is that our curtain gets lifted. It's, it's time to pull it back. It's time to take the next step in the life of our church. Again, I don't vainly think that my weaknesses are the only thing holding this church back. Whatever part it is that I've played, that's done. There may be a part that your life plays. You need to find out what that is. But whatever this curtain is over our church of dullness, of lack of joy, of lack of excitement, of lack of uh, of a celebratory spirit for what Christ has done for us on the cross, it's got to go, guys. It's got to go. I told Preston last week, as I was struggling with this through him, before I ever put anything together, before I went to the Thursday prayer meeting, I sat in Preston's living room. I said, Preston, I don't, I don't know what this curtain is. I don't know what's going on. I said, we're in this building now. God has blessed us. You know, we came in here and we renovated and we painted and we did all this stuff. But I feel like we did a bunch of renovations and we haven't gone where we want to go. At the same time, I don't feel like we've missed anything. I don't think we've taken wrong turns. I don't think we're... we're we're being sinful in our, in our philosophies or in our direction. We're on point. Whatever it is, though, that's holding us back, we've got, to, we've got to get rid of it. I said to him and through him to the worship team, um, let's go for it. Let's go for it. And so what this church needs to know is, one, that I, I apologize. I apologize for, uh, for the me that wasn't really me. I hope doesn't continue to be me. And to challenge you, let's get rid of whatever this, whatever this thing is. I I don't exactly know. I don't exactly know. But if we're going to move forward, if people are going to come here, we've got to live like there is a Christ in us. So we're going to celebrate. Preston, you guys come on. We're going to wrap this thing up uh, in worship. Go ahead and stand with us. And um, we've added a couple new elements to worship this morning. All right. 
Preston explained one of them last week. We've got a microphone up here. God does not just speak through myself or through Preston. He does not just speak through our elders. Where the spirit resides in your heart, he is, he is speaking. Preston said last week, he is always wanting to speak. The question is, are we listening? So as you listen, as we corporately press into the throne room of God and tell him how much we love him, how much we're grateful for what he's done in our life, you listen. And when God says, this is a word for the body, not just for you, Preston encouraged us last week, find a scripture that conveys what God is impressing on your heart. Find a scripture passage and bring it, read it and have a seat. If he has more that he wants to share through you, find an elder, say, find me and say, I feel like God is saying this. Can I, can I share it? We've added another element of worship. This is a new, a new one today over here on this side. We've got a table set up for communion. We don't get to do communion as often as we'd like. We don't do communion as often as we'd like. And a friend uh, this past week uh, shared something that they had done in their previous church. And I said, that's, that's a great idea. And it's simple. Communion is here. And it'll be here. It may not be here every Sunday. Most Sundays it's going to be here from here on out. Will we still have a joint communion time? Yeah, we will. You feel led, impressed to remember, to do this in remembrance of what God has done for you? As a family, you come up, take a piece of bread, dip it in the bowl. Don't chug from the bowl, okay? That's not good. Do not double dip, okay? Take a cracker, dip a cracker. There's a verse up there. You can read that. You can pray with your family if you'd like. You could use the altar. We don't use this altar enough. Another element of worship we don't use enough. Maybe there's someone here, uh, a friend. Maybe you've had a conflict with. Maybe you need to grab them. Come up and pray. Maybe you need to share Lord's Supper together. Maybe you need to commune with God together with someone else in this room. So that's that's free from here on out for you to use as an element of worship. Okay? Amen. Pray with me and we're going to we're going to go to God. Lord, your word says that our joy is found in you. The joy of our salvation is evident in your hands. The psalmist says, would we cry out and be glad? Would our lives show the joy that is in us? That is Christ, your your only son. Lord, might our hearts and our countenances be lifted to celebrate your goodness and your kindness to us. Might you lift the veil off of my heart, Father. Might you restore the joy of my salvation. Might you continue to teach me who it is that I truly am in Christ, for that's all that matters. Would you teach everyone in this room who they are in Christ and who you would have them be? Would you reveal sin, drive us to our knees for confession, and raise us up again in victory, Father? Might we march forward as a church in victory, past this darkness, past whatever Satan tries to hold against us. And might we shout to the Lord, for you are our, you are our peace. You are the Father who never forsook us. So, Lord, we move ahead this morning. The curtains are back. Our hearts are open. Our sins are laid bare. And we come with a smile on our face. For while we were yet sinners, you loved us. You saved us. 
and you set us at the, at the right hand with, with Christ. In Him. He is in us and we are in Him. And we have that joy in us. So Lord, we come and we bring a full heart this morning. And we sing these songs not with our lips only, but with our, with our whole self. Might this be a new day of worship for Cornerstone Church. In Jesus' name, who is our cornerstone, we pray. Amen. Amen.